planning on preaching, but I think this mass is uh, of great interest. Uh, all of the texts are, are quite, um, quite interesting, uh, particularly this very, very long lesson from the second book of the Maccabees. I thought it would be important to sort of break this down. The church always looks, searches the scriptures, searches the Old Testament scriptures first because in the early church, the Old Testament was the scripture. When you see references to the scriptures, for instance, in the, uh, in the, uh, uh, the creed, he rose again according to the scriptures, that's a reference to the Old Testament. Okay? So whenever the church looks for ways to understand things that are happening in a contemporary sense, she always looks to the Old Testament for models, for symbols, for similarities, and then brings them forward to illuminate from the perspective of God what's happening. There are all sorts of ways of, of uh, analyzing um, uh, contemporary events. Um, you can analyze things from an economic point of view, uh, a philosophical point of view. Um, there are different uh, schools of thought. You know, if I'm a Marxist, I read it this way. If I'm a libertarian, I read it this way. If I'm a this or that, or whatever it is. The church reads things through God's eyes, and this means going to the scriptures. And so what do we find that the, the church has found in the second book of the Maccabees? Now, the Maccabees, of course, the books of the Maccabees, refer to that period, which we sometimes call intertestamental, uh, even though Maccabees, the books of Maccabees are a part of the Old Testament. Uh, it's still uh, referred to as this kind of interim time between uh, the, the, the last of the great prophetic books and the New Testament. So the Maccabees were those uh, Jews who stood up uh, against the, um, the Hellenistic uh, invaders, because as you remember, Alexander the Great uh, uh, went through uh, most of the known world um, conquering, conquering, conquering. Uh, he ended, I think, was it in, in India? I think he ended and finally died. But his kingdom was divided up amongst his, his generals. And um, uh, one of his generals, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes IV, I think it is, um, he was the one who had control of Palestine. And uh, as has often happened to the Jews, a pagan uh, uh, force comes in and says, we're going to control you. We're going to subjugate you, and the way that we're going to do that is by making you deny your religion. And so what did they say? They said, well, we are going to make them eat swine's flesh. To the Jews, swine's flesh was absolutely forbidden. Uh, God had forbidden it to them. Uh, this was a, something from the Old Testament today. We 
Gentile Christians are not bound to this, but in those days it had a certain symbolic uh, quality, and that was essentially that you are a different people, you are not like those people, you don't have to eat everything uh, that they eat, you don't have to do everything the way that they do, and so you're not going to do this. And swine's flesh, uh, to the Jews, had this symbolism of something that is um, not pure. And so God says, do not partake of the impurities of the Gentiles. Which is exactly what he says to us, but of course we understand it in a spiritual way. So we have Eleazar, one of the chiefs of the scribes, advanced in years of a comely countenance, was pressed to open his mouth to eat swine's flesh. <coughs> but he, choosing rather a most glorious death than a hateful life, went forward voluntarily to the torment. And considering in what manner he was come into it, patiently bearing, he determined not to do any unlawful things for the love of life. But they that stood by, being moved with wicked pity for the old friendship they had with the man, taking him aside, desired that flesh might be brought, which it was lawful for him to eat, that he might make as if he had eaten, as the king had commanded of the flesh of the sacrifice, that by so doing he might be delivered from death. Okay, so what is the church setting up here? This is the feast of St. John Fisher, and Thomas More. John Fisher and Thomas More, of course, are martyrs of the English Reformation, the so-called Reformation, defamation, destruction is a better term for it. Uh, and the king, King Henry VIII, a venal man, if there ever was one, um, declared himself head of the Church of England, and everyone had to take Everyone who was anyone who was a bishop, or an abbot, or a government official, whoever, a noble, they had to make the oath and say, yes, I agree that Henry VIII is the head on earth of the English church, and that the Pope has no authority in England. Okay? So the church is saying that, essentially, Henry VIII was offering, not offering, but forcing the Catholics of England to accept something akin to swine's flesh, something impure, something forbidden, something which God hates. Okay? And so we have the old man Eleazar, one of the chiefs of the scribes. He could stand either for John Fisher, who was the Bishop of Rochester, or Thomas More, a married layman, who was the Lord Chancellor of England. It doesn't matter. Eleazar stands in for either of them. So Eleazar is, is told, you must eat swine's flesh. And then friends come by, friends. These are the kinds of friends that appear in the book of Job that tell Job all sorts of nonsense, and they don't help at all, and they make things worse, actually. The friends come by, and they say, oh, Eleazar, 
this whole thing with, with, with the king, it's awful. Just let's do a little thing where it looks like you've you've taken the swine's flesh, but really we'll put beef in there or something like that. But we'll simulate. So you you know you can kind of have your secret thing where you know you reserve you know your obedience to God, but outwardly you do the thing that the king wants. Okay. This is just like the kind of people who went to Thomas More and to John Fisher, friends who said, look, Henry VIII is mad, he's, 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 he's off his rocker, but just, just do it, just do it. Make a, uh, make a mental reservation and just kind of say, you know, you know uh, uh, cross your fingers behind your back and just say, yes, the king, the king, the king. It doesn't work that way. That is not pleasing to God. So for the sake of their old friendship with the man, they did him this courtesy. But he began to consider the dignity of his age and his ancient years and the inbred honor of his gray head and his good life and conversation from a child, the way of life from a child. And he answered without delay according to the ordinances of the holy law made by God, saying that he would rather be sent into what is called here the other world, in Latin it says, in infernum, hell. He would rather go to hell. It's interesting that throughout the, the text so far, uh, there's references to life, that he had a good life, and he determined not to do unlawful things for the love of life, propter vitae amore. It's very interesting. Sometimes people see Christians as joyless, as people who forsake uh, uh, things that are, are, are pleasurable and joyful um, based on some kind of crazy idea that God wants this of them um, arbitrarily. But that's not true. Christians abstain from unlawful things for the love of life. Because, as Father Pryor tells us so often, virtue makes a man happy. Vice makes him miserable. And so the old man said, no, I'm not going to do this. He answered without delay according to the ordinances of the holy law made by God, he would rather be sent to hell. For it doth not become our age, said he, to dissemble, to lie. Whereby many young persons might think that Eleazar, at the age of fourscore and ten years, that's ninety, was gone off, gone over to the life of the heathens. And so they, through my dissimulation, and for a little time of a corruptible life, should be deceived, and hereby I should bring a stain and a curse upon my old age. So he's saying, okay, so you're having me dissimulate and publicly take the swine's flesh. But there's all these young people who, are, who look up to my example. That isn't a, a possibility at all. It brings shame upon me, and it leads them to apostasy. For though, for the present time, I should be delivered 
from the punishments of men, yet should I not escape the hand of the Almighty, neither alive nor dead. Wherefore, by departing manfully out of this life, I shall show myself worthy of my old age, and I shall leave an example of fortitude to young men, if with a ready mind and constancy I suffer an honorable death for the most venerable and most holy laws. And having spoken thus, he was forthwith carried to execution. So this is the symbol of the, the, the constancy of St. John Fisher and St. Thomas More, and of their absolute refusal to play the game. To play the game that King wanted them to play. You know, perhaps we can make a compromise, perhaps this, perhaps that. There comes a time when compromise is not possible. When it's simply a question of it's good or it's evil. Not everything is like that. There are gray areas in life. But when it comes to something like this, there is no compromise. It may come, a day may come, when you and I are faced with something like this. And that's why we remember the saints. There's almost a martyr every day in the church's liturgy that we remember as a symbol of one who did not compromise. No half measures. You're all in for God or you're not. There comes a time of decision at different times in life, sometimes as extreme as this, that you simply have to say that is against everything that I am. I'd rather go to hell than displease God and to bring uh, dishonor upon myself and to ruin my life. Imagine if Eleazar had taken the, the, the fake cork, or if Thomas More had sort of agreed to the act of supremacy or or something like that. For John Fisher had been kept on in his see in the Protestant Church of England. What if? Their life would have been unlivable. Their life would have been unlivable if they were truly men of conscience, which they were. So this is a, a really wonderful, um, it's a very long epistle, uh, but it's quite... Um, it's quite interesting, and I think it's very, very important to ponder this today. The Reformation was, in some ways, the end of the world, by which I mean the end of the medieval world. And I think we're in a similar time, that we're at the end of an age, and God only knows what's coming next. But we have to fortify ourselves with the memory of men like this, of Eleazar, of John Fisher, of Thomas More, and ask their help. Ask for the, 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 their strength 
their conviction, their absolute disgust of anything that might displease God. Because if we don't have that, we're not going to, to be like them. We're going to say, okay, I'll take the little, little piece of meat that looks like pork. I'll try and, you know, appease God and I'll try to appease the king. Does not work. Does not work. And so I, I encourage you to uh, keep this, this story in your minds and hearts today. Eleazar, who would not so much as give the appearance of anything displeasing to God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.